0: Welcome to Park City's Presbyterian Church, to our early morning worship service. Please stand, if you would, for the reading of the Word of the Lord. We are in the book of Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews has been listing in the 11th chapter numerous men and women of old who he sets forth as examples of faith in the Lord, amen genuine faith, a saving faith, a continuing faith, a persevering faith, and a victorious faith. And so he begins to wind up his list, beginning in verse 32, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword and were strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. The writer starts out naming particular individuals such as Moses and Enoch and Abel and others. And then he appends to that name a particular deed or act or disposition that they had that enabled them to live the life of faith that becomes exemplar to us. Then as he goes along, he begins to reach a point and we see it in the text, where instead of naming a person and a deed, he just simply names a person. He lists the people. And we are supposed to know the story of each of those individuals, to know their biography and to see and observe in their lives this example and principle of operating, prevailing, conquering, persevering faith. And then, he finally gets to the point in the text where he doesn't name anybody. In particular, he just points out deeds and actions and occurrences in their lives. And I find it fascinating. I wish this was a class this morning. I would have you take out a clean sheet of paper and number about one to 10. (laughs) It would be a pop quiz. And the pop quiz would go, can you assign a name? Do you know a particular event or person that fits this description? And I would expect you to score somewhere between 70 and 100%. And uh, let's just briefly run through it. It might be helpful. I don't think we can get all of them, but he points out these people that were outstanding people of faith, and he just generalizes and says, the prophets. And some of those are included in what he talks about. Through faith conquered kingdoms. A large portion of the Old Testament is the study of the conquest from the days Of Joshua all the way through to the very end there are constant stories about a king inquiring of a prophet saying shall I go up to battle against for example the Syrians in Damascus or the the Edomites or the Ammonites or the Moabites or the uh, the uh, uh, groups of the north and the Lord would give his permission and say go I'm with you and then the Lord would sometimes say don't go and as time went by The kingdoms were conquered. The last particular person that's named here is King David. And it was Solomon, his son, who ruled over a vast empire simply because David had spent his life as a warrior. And his 40-year reign was a reign of conquest of one of God's enemies after another. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. Many stories in the Old Testament of how God sent his kings and his prophets and his priests forth into the land to establish justice. One of them was King Jehoshaphat, you remember, when he came back from the battle, he settled in Jerusalem and he had a very comfortable life. And the Lord came to him by the prophet and said, leave Jerusalem, get up out of Jerusalem and go throughout all the land and bring the people back to the Lord. Oh, what a, what a great ministry for King Jehoshaphat and that's what he did and he established justice. He went in the land, he set up courts, he set up judges, he set up an entire system of justice and righteousness in the land and it not only brought God's people back, it brought equity and justice and prosperity back to Israel but it also, if we read it carefully, establishes a justice system for us today. Talked about bribery and corruption. In the justice system and the importance of keeping everything and squared away with the law of God obtained promises one God promised that he would raise up one day when the priesthood had failed he would raise up one day a priest a faithful priest we'll see that in just a moment but then he also promised King David that he would have a, a successor to sit upon his throne for all eternity one promise after another God gave to these men of old. It says he stopped the mouths of lions. David dealt with a lion, Samson dealt with a lion and so did Daniel in the lion's den. The mouths the Bible literally says were stopped. He quenched the power of fire. Thinking of Daniel, think of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And there the fourth man was seen in the fire with them. The fourth man was one like the son of God. Think of the enormous faith of the escape, the edge of the sword. Time and time again, we read stories of battles and conquest and, and things that would be massacres, but instead, God delivered them. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. And as this is his want, he never leaves out the women. Women received back their dead by resurrection. This happened in the days of Elijah. He raised a mother's child. And with the double portion of the blessing of God and the mantle falling upon him, Elisha did the same thing, raised the dead, brought them back to life and gave a mother back her child. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. You see, the eye of faith sees beyond the circumstance, sees beyond the trial, sees beyond the fiery ordeal of the moment. And that's what he's trying to get across to us is that whatever we've been through and we in our study of Hebrews knows that this particular flock, this particular group that he's writing to have been undergoing some measure of persecution. They had not resisted yet unto blood. There had not been martyrdom yet, but there had been a lot of persecution and a lot of resistance and uh, brought upon them. And he's trying to encourage them here in this beautiful pastoral letter of Hebrews. He said, others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. These are the two fates of Jeremiah and Isaiah. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep. And then he begins to generalize and before he can even get to the end of his lesson, he says, the world is not worthy of these people. These are the stalwarts these are the faithful and i want us to know that their lives were not perfect their lives were not sinless neither were their lives necessarily a bed of roses every day of their lives god's people have always suffered some measure of affliction one of the reasons i think our church is so weak today not this particular local church but the church worldwide the church universal is so weak and many ways is that we've not had the persecution and the suffering, but it befalls people in other countries. We are insulated and isolated and in some ways uh, woefully ignorant of the sufferings of our fellow Christians around the world, especially since they are being vexed now by the most fierce anti-Christ group that has ever walked the planet, Islam, and its neighboring doctrine, which along with Islam arises from the pit of hell and that is godless, atheistic, humanism and communism. These things have, have afflicted the people of God and will continue to do so more in our lifetime and in the lifetime of our children than we can possibly imagine, I fear. Buddhism, Hinduism, and all the isms and denominations that derive from those ancient faiths are not near so antichrist as is atheistic humanism and Islam. And the lot that we see here, what more could the people of God have suffered than what you see here? Torture, martyrdom, privation, and yet, he says the world was not worthy. There's the scale. Paul says that what he endured in his life, and we're familiar with the life of Paul, the things that he endured, he said that is not worthy to be compared with the glory which we'll have in Christ. It's perspective. What is it worth? What is worthy? Is the world worthy of the remnant who continue to call upon the name of the true God to believe in him to obey him to follow him to live their lives according to his laws and principles it is because of the remnant it's because of the few that God does not destroy the whole that God does not destroy the many. That's always been the principle of justice in God. So we see it in Sodom and Gomorrah, we see it in many other places. God withholds his justifiable wrath upon the wicked for the sake of the righteous. And yet the wicked don't even know it. Don't even realize that if it wasn't for the people that they persecute and that they hold in derision, they themselves would receive the full measure of the wrath of God. Perspective. What is worthy? Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. In other words, they really don't have a home. And that's where we're gonna continue our series in the fall. We're gonna be talking about the notion of sojourning What does it mean to be pilgrims and strangers in this land and in this earth in our lifetime? We live for the moment, we get comfortable, we like it here, but we are sojourners. A sojourner is someone who comes to go, but stays a while before they go. And we'll be seeing that that is the the proper perspective for the Christian life. And nothing, I think, can increase our faith more than to know that whatever we're going through, there's something beyond that. As the old preacher said, his favorite verse of Scripture was, and it came to pass. (laughs) And that's kind of the way some of the trials and troubles that we go through. Now, let's talk about one person in the next few minutes that we have. And this is... I just couldn't resist it. I was talking to Mark, and we were talking about how much was here that we could be preaching on. All these people that were named, and and uh, you know just how frustrating it is when you when you get started in a good series like this, and then all of a sudden you have to begin to wrap it up. But we saw Samson last week. I want to look at Samuel. He's the uh, um, the last person uh, that's named here in this um, in this group. Something about Samson have you ever thought about the ministry of Samson I'm sorry Samuel Samuel Samson was last week Samuel his mission was transitional he took God's people from basically the judges to the kings he was the one who anointed the first two kings of Israel in his life. He anointed Saul to be king. Saul, the son of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin to be the first king of Israel. And he worked with Saul and he ministered alongside Saul. And then even in the midst of Saul's reign, the Lord pointed out that Saul was not God's choice, David was, David was the man after God's own heart. And as a small shepherd boy, Samuel made his way to the house of Jesse, to the tribe of Judah, being a little deceptive or at least a little clandestine against Saul and anointed the shepherd boy, David. What about his life? Samuel, Saul and David's reign over Israel lasted about a century, 40 years each with some overlap. God took them from the days of the judges with Barak and Gideon and and Othniel and uh, Samson that we saw last week in that day when there was no king in Israel and everyone did that which was right in their own eyes and they would uh, follow the Lord for a while, then they would go off into gross sin And then God would bring affliction upon them through from their enemies, the Ammonites and the Philistines and the the Midianites and others. And, And then they would call out to the Lord and the Lord would rescue them and save them and send them a savior who in each case had some typification, some picture, some glimpse of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, including even as we saw last week, Samson. That epoch of time Called the Amphictyoni, when they were a loose confederation of tribes. But God consolidated and began to consolidate the government of Israel in Canaan under the ministry of Samuel. Samuel was a servant of the Lord, and we have his whole lifespan before us in the scriptures from the womb. To the tomb. We have a record of Samuel's life before he was conceived <laughs> and his conception of a barren womb. One more time God takes a barren womb and brings forth a Savior. And his upbringing, his mother Hannah dedicated him to the Lord, gave him to the Lord. She had other children sons and daughters later on, but that firstborn was set aside for the service of the Lord. And that's what Samuel's life was all about. He didn't know any better. As soon as he was weaned, she brought him to the temple and gave him to Eli, the old priest that was governing and ruling in Israel in those days. And Samuel grew up the Bible says in due time Hannah conceived bore a son she called his name Samuel she said for I have asked for the Lord and then said she brought him to the house of the Lord and said therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives he is lent to the Lord she gave him over to the Lord's service and that's what we have the record in the book of first Samuel we have the record of him from his time he was conceived all the way through to the time that he died and a record of his burial. It's interesting that in that time, the boy, the Bible says, the boy ministered to the Lord in the presence of Eli the prophet. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. Priest. That's what the priest wore. And every year his mother and father would come up to offer sacrifice and she'd bring him a new ephod. I bet that first one wasn't any bigger than that right there. And then each year she anticipated, he's grown a little bit. And so she'd bring him a little bigger one. The next year she'd bring him another ephod, a little bigger, a little bigger. What does the Bible say about him? It says, the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. Oh boy, I tell you, I'd like to have it put on my tombstone. Growing in the presence of the Lord. He grew up, he grew up in the house of the Lord serving. And this is what the Lord did for him. But it doesn't stop there, it goes on and said, now the young man Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. Where have we heard that before? Luke 2, 52, Christ increased in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Here's Here's a young boy growing up to be the servant of the Lord who will like Christ serve the Lord from his virgin conception unto his crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and forever. All Samuel served the Lord was the days of his life from the womb to the tomb, but our savior is an everlasting savior, an eternal savior, a savior forever. But they had their start very, very similar. He learned the scriptures under old Eli the priest. And the Bible says in summary of his story, there came a day when Eli's sons who administered justice and functioned as priest and took the sacrifice became thoroughly corrupt. They perverted justice, they accepted bribes, they robbed from the offering, they committed all kinds of abominable acts right there in the shrine with the women that came and uh, countless other things, but the most important thing the Bible says was they didn't know the Lord. And so the Lord gave a promise eventually to little Samuel a prophecy that he had to report to old Eli with much lamentation. And that is that God was going to kill his sons, that he was going to wipe out that lineage, that there was only gonna be one survivor of the whole clan and he was gonna live only to tell the story. What a grave and awful thing when the Lord has to take his servants and put them away because they're no longer faithful to him. And that's what happened in the case of Eli's sons. It was a sad, sad day. But in the midst of all of that gloom, listen to this little statement from the mouth of the Lord as he is speaking. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever that's a prophecy of Christ the faithful priest who will do the whole will of God in fact right on up to the moment of his sacrifice he was still dialoguing with the father about that will and came to the conclusion not my will but thine be done and here we have couched in this dark day of Israel the promise of the faithful priest who would come and make a sacrifice and be a sacrifice and be the mediator between God and man. God would build him a sure house, would raise up a temple for him to minister in forever. What? Know ye not that you are the temple of God? That each one of you is a stone fitted and crafted in that great structure? You are a living stone In that temple, we are the house in which the Lord God ministers, each one being regenerated and brought to him, put together in this eternal temple. One more thing about him, not only was he priest, but the young Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So he was trained to be a priest God called him now to be a prophet. And you know the story, we don't have time to tell it. Remember in the middle of the night he heard a voice calling and he went to Eli and he said, did you call? And Eli said, no, I didn't call you. Old man like Eli was trying to get some sleep. (laughs) Happened again, it happened again. And then Eli realized that it was not him, it was the Lord calling the boy Samuel. And he sent Samuel back and say these words to the Lord. Speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. Mm. I wish that'd be written on my tombstone. (laughs) Speak, Lord, for thy servant hears. And the Lord did speak. The Bible says that Samuel grew. It's the third time we've mentioned about his growth. By the way, that's what the life of faith is, is a life of growth. We're not where we need to be on day one. And we're really not gonna be where we should be on the last day. But there needs to be a difference in those two days. A marked difference in our spiritual life and in our character from the day we begin with the Lord until the day it is finished. All the way through that growth is mentioned in Scripture. And listen to what it says, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And he got the prophetic gift. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh and the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. So what we have in Samuel is now a prophet, a man whose word is the word of the Lord, who hears the word of the Lord and speaks the word of the Lord to the people. Another, a second mediatorial office, not just priest, but prophet. And then as we conclude, we know what Samuel did in his life. He functioned as a judge. He judged out of Shiloh most of the time, but then periodically he would go and travel and travel a circuit throughout all of Israel and establish courts and have hearings and, and render verdicts. And he was the one that organized the people. He's the one that delineated what would be the nature of the kingdom. He anointed the first two kings. He did everything functionally you could do short of being king. He was a judge that was a a judge from all of Israel. He united Israel under the common faith and under the common reign of the law of God as he administered it. So there's a sense in which we can say Samuel was sort of at least a precursor to a king, a third mediatorial office, priest, prophet, and king. And because of that, Samuel is to us an example of faith. That which our Lord fulfilled is priest, as prophet, as king, that which our Lord continues to fulfill as he reigns over all the earth, as his word goes forth to the ends of the earth and as he makes intercession forever for his people. We look to him. And that's where the author is gonna move us. Just in, a, in, a couple, in, a, in one more, one more uh, passage, he's gonna move us to who we need to pay attention to, Christ. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith.